story one, drones. Over the deployment, we had started seeing handheld drones flying around the airfield we guarded. I personally hadn't seen any of them while on guard, so I mostly ignored the talk about them. Usually after the shift was over, I'd book to work out and eat before the showers got full. This particular night, I had beaten most people to the showers and was ex exiting the latrine when I saw it. As I had left the building, a triangular-shaped drone about the size of a car hovered above me for about five seconds. I immediately panicked and ran back inside the latrine. I don't know how long I spent pushing against the door before I decided to walk back out. Coincidentally, no one was outside when this happened. The only evidence I had of it was the, that I was covered in dust. The propellers had kicked up. I only told my team, but no one else saw it, and none of the security towers caught wind of it either. Story 2 Verduna So, I'm a French infantryman, and this story takes place during my basic training. All of my basic was done in the area of Verdun. As you all know, this whole area is a graveyard and the landscape is still modified by trenches and artillery craters. It's not uncommon to find shrapnel, grenades, rifles, and bones. Personally, while digging a foxhole, I found what looked like a hand around a spoon. This shit stuck with me to this day. Anyways, we were doing a field training in one of the Verdun's forests, and we had to dig our foxhole in a trench system full of bomb craters. Next to us was a World War I fort with a lot of French soldiers who died there because German soldiers gassed them. A lot of Germans died there too, especially in that forest. I was on guard duty and was peeking my head out of the foxhole and watching the trees shadows in that cold winter night. I was fucking tired and cold as fuck. That's when I saw it. It was a dark shadow figure that stood still. Too still. I could swear it wasn't here a few seconds before. I know that it wasn't one of our guys because right in front of me was a forbidden area of the forest for anyone. And this is because of unstable trench systems. I felt that uneasy feeling while I kept looking at that shadow. Deep down, I knew something wasn't right, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I couldn't see shit, but yet I'm still convinced that this shadow looked right at me. My friend relieved me from guard duty a short while after, and I stopped looking at that shadow for a second. I raised my eyes, and I couldn't find it anymore. I shook that weird feeling and went to sleep as I was exhausted. Next morning, we were all gathered for a quick breakfast before going to range for some shooting, and we talked about that night and how fucking cold it was. I heard a guy jokingly talk about how he saw a fucking ghost, and weirdly, everyone went silent. Someone asked what he saw exactly, and he just answered, some creepy shadow. A motherfucker wasn't moving at all. I had that fucking feeling again, the same dread as before. I asked my foxhole friend if he saw something, and he just pointed me in the direction where the shadow was. We decided to go near where we thought the shadow was because the night weren't sure of the real distance between us and it. The trench system was flooded and the mud was falling apart so we didn't really go too far. Also, it was forbidden so we weren't going to stay too long. Nothing was there but in a way I felt that, there were, that we weren't alone in there. People died here horribly and in a way I was connected.
Never forgot that feeling, and it wasn't the last time I felt something like that around Redun during my months over there. I'm not even talking about those creepy crows. I mean, I'm not claiming what I saw was real, but from that day, I'm not so against believing in spirits or bad energy. I can't explain all of it for sure. Story 3. Rod Range. My company was at Live Fire Complex Rodriguez in January for about a month before 2020. While we were there, my mortar section and our BN Frist team went out to the Whiskey 4 mortar range about 5k away from the main base. Rodriguez is out in the middle of nowhere, as far as I can tell, and in a very hilly, wooded area. Me and my buddy were on a road guard, Guardian Angel, in the middle of the night. It's bitter cold out, but there's a small warming hut about the size of a telephone booth next to the gate. There's windows on all four sides of the hut, and with it being pitch black out, when you have the light on, you cannot see out the windows at all. It's very spooky feeling being on display like that. So we turned that light off when we did our watch. We took 30 minute shifts, one guy alert and awake sitting on top of the little desk, and the other guy curled up on the floor by the heater taking a tacticat nap. Suddenly, we heard these super loud but super brief rocket blasts. Sounds like you're being buzzed by a jet, but it only lasted maybe one or two seconds each. We hear that a couple of times before stepping out of the warming hut to take a look around with our nods. However, we're outside the hut for maybe a couple of seconds before we hear a loud, blood-curdling woman scream out in the woods. Straight up like you hear out of a movie. I'm not ashamed to say my buddy and I tripped over each other to get back in that hut. We called up the ammo watch though to ask if we heard anything or anyone was out of the building the section was we were sleeping in. He calls back over to say he hasn't heard shit and nobody is going out of the building with how cold it is. When our relief came, we asked him if we had heard anything and they both said no. We asked everybody the next day if they heard anything and they all said no too. With how loud the rocket blasts were, there's no conceivable way these guys didn't hear anything. I still have no explanation for it. Me and my buddy were pretty spooked the next couple of days we were out at the range before we went back to Mainside. It was weird as fuck. I don't know, but I kept thinking witches. I don't know if Korea has any kind of history with witchcraft, but I'm sure there has to be something of the sort. The MFP at W4 was backed by a berm. When I was on ammo watch the next week night, I was pretty spooked at a hot Korean girl with satanic intent was going to crawl over the berm on all fours like General Grievous and then drag me off to sacrifice me in the forest. Nothing happened after that first night, but I was still pretty creeped out the rest of my tour. Story 4, 29 Palms. One time back when I was a super boot with a 17th CAAT platoon in 29 Palms, I was on a watch in the field in the middle of the night. Pretty common occurrence for sure, but the moon was full. There wasn't a cloud in the sky and the entire landscape was lit up by a cool blue. Very strange but beautiful landscape. My platoon parked the bikes at a lip overlooking a dry riverbed and for watch I just posted up on this outcrapping all wrapped up in my woobie and smoked a few reds. Most of the watch was boring as fuck until the rustling started creeping up on us. 
At first, I attributed the sound to wind until the unmistakable sound of a coyote pack erupted just beneath me in a dry river bed. They'd found something and went into a kill frenzy less than 10 feet below me, snarling and snapping and yapping and howling at the top of their lungs, and then something distinctly inhuman made this sound maybe 50 meters away. It sounded like someone sucking for air and then roaring. And as quick as they came, the coyotes ran and were gone, and no one else from the platoon had woken except for me. When I woke next watch, they claimed they didn't hear anything, and I chalked it up to probably nodding off during watch and fell asleep on the Vic. Next morning, the riverbed was full of blood and fur, evidence from the kill frenzy. It was real. I didn't sleep much for a few days after that, and I never spoke to anyone about whatever it was that scared the coyotes away. I'm not sure what it was. Been wondering for more than 10 years. The skeptic in me says mountain lion, but 29 is just an open desert save for a lead mountain. Couldn't have a tweaker, maybe. But we were deep in the training crown. Then again, there's a restricted zone near the north part of the base where it runs parallel with the 10 freeway. A set of train tracks runs through the restricted zone. Maybe they move something in or out. Story 5. Wrong Uniform. So I was at SOI in 2013 out on Nightland Nav, wondering by myself, getting lost as fuck. We were told there were scout sniper candidates running the same area on a much, much harder course. The tags on stakes instead of sands. We were told they're not allowed to interact with us in any way, so don't be surprised if they ignore us. I'm doing the normal thing, checking the map and shooting back azimuths, and I notice someone behind me. I figured it's one of those dudes or some other marine. I'm trying hard to see my map, so I just kind of stand where I can see him, but keep looking. I notice he's in woodlands. I think maybe a combat instructor is playing a prank, so I hurry off before I end up getting hazed. But something feels weird about it. I asked the instructors about it later, and they said some shit about how it happens all the time, but nothing bad has ever come of it. Story 6, Camp Lester. Former HM, USN here. U.S. Naval Hospital, Okinawa, Japan. Labor and delivery. Camp Lester, Okinawa, JP. The old hospital. Camp Lester Hospital was an old battlefield from WW2 before. We would hear babies crying in the operating room at night and nights with no patients. Nurses, unaware, would call admissions and ask, what was the birth time? We'd be like, there's no deliveries or patients in. Postpartum, post-delivery ward was down the hall. I would wheelchair over new moms and babies. One time I was wheeling an empty wheelchair over. Felt a hand grab my shoulder. This was like 2 a.m. Witnessed hospital equipment fly off the walls. Tons more incidents around the whole hospital. Story 7. 
the Yakima Sasquatch. My brother was stationed at Fort Lewis in Tacoma back in the 1990s. Outside of the story, I would describe him as highly skeptical. I'm not a believer, but I love the lore. His unit was out in eastern Washington around Yakima on some training deal where they drop you off by yourself and you have to navigate your way to different points. I'll cut this down and keep it short. As he was working his way through that forest, he got the feeling that something was watching him. He didn't see anything but kept feeling like something was watching him and following him, he said. Then he started hearing something move in the brush. He picked up his pace and he started to get creeped out and as he picked up his pace, whatever was following him picked up its pace, matching his step. He had his weapon but no rounds and at this point he said he was so freaked out that if he had ammunition he would have started spraying the woods behind him. He did have a knife but he said he could sense that whatever was watching him was really big and he at this point was probably convinced himself that Bigfoot was real and is looking for his next dinner. When he retells the story and gets to this point even to this day he gets shaky and his hair on his arm stands up on end. He can tell that whatever was out there was tracking closer and closer to him and he knows from his map that he's only a couple hundred yards to his next checkpoint. He's totally freaks out, and he breaks into a full running sprint. He says as he does, he hears the creature pick up its pace. He says it was behind him and off to the side a bit when it started. He makes it to the clearing, and there's a porta potty and he jumps inside it, locks the door, and grabs his knife. Watching him tell the story, I crack up every time. The creature stalked around in the clearing, and he could hear it grunting. He said it was out there for about five minutes, and then he heard it walk off. Everyone who's skeptical thinks the bears are the obvious culprit, but he insists on whatever was out there was bipedal, two legs, and huge. He sat in there for 15 to 20 minutes and realized he had to open the door at some point to see. But when he did, it was gone, and he didn't encounter it the rest of the hike. Again, he is extremely skeptical, but this experience is not, is not one he made up, nor is he prone to hyperbole. Whatever it was freaked him the fuck out and still does to this day. Story 8, Arnhem. Me and a mate of mine both decided to visit the Arnhem battlefields at the 70th anniversary of the battle. Both serving mill and both skeptical about paranormal stuff. We pitched up our tent, which was an old British Army 9x9 ridge tent at the campsite with our camp cots either side-by-side walls. We mooched onto town and later on in the evening... Early hours of the morning and our first night there, I was awoken by my mate. He's a big six foot four bloke into himself. He was white as a ghost. It was pretty unnerving. He said he had woke up and the tent had been transformed into a Dakota with sticks of paratrooper sitting along where my bed was. He said he turned and there was a ginger bloke with a bent wiry nose looking at him. And when he blinked it, it was gone. And just me laying in my cot. He said a name had come to him called Jack Tomlinson. He didn't think I'd believe him, but after doing some digging, we found that our campsite was where a Dakota crashed during the initial parachute drop 70 years ago. This is kind of weird. After digging a bit more, we found a Jack Tomlinson, who had been a paratrooper from Arnheim, 
or at Arnheim, who was from my mate's hometown, who was ginger and looked similar to the vision he described. To this day, my opinion has been changed on paranormal stuff entirely. We spoke to other guys, and they'd also had weird experiences there. Afterwards, we heard loads of stuff from other lads who had been. One guy was a 20-odd-year ex-Special Forces medic, said he'd been camping on one of the original drop zones and went for a piss in the night. Said he saw loads of paras patrolling across the field about 3 a.m. Scared the shit out of him. Took paranormal shit seriously after those events I did. Story 9 NAS Pensacola This was an NAS Pensacola. Initially, we were living in over 100-year-old barracks that looked like plantation houses. There wasn't really any paranormal there. However, after a hurricane damaged it, we had to move to a more modern barracks. The one we moved into our staff sergeant said he hated because it was haunted. The first people who started to notice were the ones on duty on the second and third floors. Those posts were solo and they sat at the intersection of a T of hallways. Because of that, they were only looking at one hall and you couldn't see the others. After about 9pm, you'd stop seeing people and get an eerie feeling. One night, my good friend who didn't believe in ghosts noticed out of the corner of his eye someone's head pop out of a doorway. However, when he looked, it would be there. He noticed this a few more times and decided to face that way to catch who he thought was fucking with him. As he was looking that way, he noticed in the reflection of the window at the end of the hall. There was a girl in a dress standing at the end of the hall behind him. He turned around and there was no one there. He proceeded to run downstairs and made an off-the-ground-floor duty swap with him because he refused to sit that duty again. I didn't really believe it at first until I was talking to another Marine who didn't know the first guy and he said the guy next to us had a similar experience. There are other instances of people, speakers, starting to play randomly. LEDs people had in their rooms turning off and on and other small things like that. The other main weird thing was one night one of my buddies woke up in the middle of the night and saw a figure standing by his doorway. The next day he told us about it in the morning formation and a lot of us thought it was funny. He thought it was two, and he imagined it. That was until he saw him the next morning. He seemed kind of stressed, and he said that he had again. He saw it again, but it was much closer. This proceeds to happen the next two days as well, getting closer every day. After this, he refuses to sleep at night, and he doesn't sleep for two days with the exception of naps in other people's rooms. He is visibly tired and stressed at this point. That night he happened to fall asleep and saw it again, and after that he slept in other people's rooms for about a month straight. He left on orders before he returned to his room. Story 10. Tiny Villages There are some strange, unsettling places in big cities, but for true terrifying weirdness, nothing is quite like small towns in the middle of fucking no place. The creepiest place I have been was an abandoned village in Afghanistan. 
It didn't have a name, at least not one any of the villagers in surrounding towns would tell us. We called it Cthulhu Calais. I suspect it was abandoned sometime during the Soviet invasion, although we couldn't figure out exactly why. Only that nobody was willing to go near it. Even our interpreters wouldn't go. But S2 wanted us to check it for weapons caches, so in we went. The first thing you notice is that the place didn't look like a normal Afghan village. It didn't even look like a human village. It was just weird. There were doors, and there shouldn't be doors. There were windows a few inches off the ground. Walls that slanted in or out by design, and they didn't collapse under their own weight. The streets were laid out in odd patterns. One street was completely closed a loop that was entirely surrounded by buildings, with no entrance alleys, only accessible by roof. There were big sinkholes everywhere, which didn't really make sense based on the terrain at all. The sinkholes were all in and around the village, not near the river. It got stranger as we got in. There was a mosque in the middle, with two of the walls fallen in. An old man that looked like he was 100 years old was praying loudly in the middle of the collapsed courtyard and refused to acknowledge our existence on our patrols. We didn't have interpreters either, so there wasn't anything we could do to talk to him. But we kept praying, but he kept praying nonstop for the hour or two we were there, which is extremely unusual. Nobody else seemed to be anywhere around, and there weren't even any footprints in the streets. The more we looked, the more creeped out we all got. We found an old stable, but it was upstairs and inside, which made no sense. We found little triangle-shaped rooms with doors on each wall, but no apparent purpose for the rooms. After a little over an hour, we were so sketched out we concluded there were definitely no arms caches or Taliban involved here, but something was deeply and genuinely fucking wrong with this place, even before it was abandoned for unknown reasons, and we all fucked off and never came back. I don't know more. We fucked off and didn't go back, it was a strange, unsettling place, but it didn't seem to be any threat to our base, and we had a lot of other shit going on. We had lots of little theories about it, but none of them really explained it. A lot of us thought the Soviets had gassed it or used biological weapons there, which is why the locals wouldn't talk about it at all, but that doesn't explain why the village would have been so weird beforehand. The sinkholes were also very strange. They were only around the village, and they were definitely sinkholes, not craters. So maybe there were tunnels or something under it. Either way, I really don't know anything else about it. Tiny villages are fucking horrifying. Panoche Hills. Got a story about a UFO sighting and some strange experiences that occurred out of the sighting. My, body and, my buddy and I went to Pinoche Hills near the San Benito Mountains to go camping and do some shooting. This is one of our regular spots and we've been here many times. However, on this trip we saw and experienced some weird shit. It was around 1am and we had just got done doing some night shooting with nods. My buddy and I noticed these strange lights towards the south just hovering right above a mountain range. I could see the lights, there were four of them, with my naked eye. The lights were yellowish in color and just hovered there off in the distance. At first, we thought maybe they were helicopters, but the lights were just kind of pulsating and behaving oddly. We observed the lights for about 15 to 20 minutes and then noticed an aircraft rapidly approaching from the east, presumably from the NAS Lemoore, headed straight for the lights. The aircraft had an IR strobe beacon, which we could see with our nods, but it was flying blacked out with no visible lights. 
as the aircraft got closer to intercepting the UFOs, the lights started disappearing one by one. It didn't zoom off, but it was like they detected the jet flying towards them and activated some type of cloaking device. Within 10 seconds, they were all invisible. We continued to observe the aircraft that was on the intercept course, and several minutes later, it turned around and flew back, flew back on the same course it came from. We went back to our campsite and started discussing what had just saw, and both of us pretty sure it was a UFO. Then, about an hour later, we decided to call it a night. As I was putting my kid away in my tent, I heard my radio, which I left on, going crazy. All sorts of high-pitched white noise and kind of sounded like voices. We were using VHF radios on a MERS band. My buddy's radio was picked up the same weird noises. We couldn't use that MERS channel to transmit at all and tried switching to another channel. Same weird noises. At this point, we're both tired and kind of freaked out. I slept with my rifle next to me the entire night and I started hearing rustling noises near our tents. I tried to ignore it and go to sleep. The next morning, I asked my buddy if he heard anything strange after we went into our tents, and he said he had heard some noises around our campsite, too, and had an uneasy feeling and barely slept. Later on, we were packing up my, to leave. My buddy found this on aluminum tent stake bent at a 90-degree angle. There was no way either of us could have bent that stake like that while it was in the ground. He still has that bent tent stake, and to this day, we remember the strange events that evening in Pinoche Hills. The lights definitely weren't flares. They were lingering above the mountains for far too long. Parachute flares typically burn out after a minute. Plus, a jet flying towards them with full afterburners doesn't make much sense either if the lights were just flares. I was just reading a story that you posted a while ago from a dude that was stationed at the Naval Air Station in Lemoore back in the 1980s. The story was also UFO-related. That area near Fresno and San Benito Mountains is a hotbed of UFO activity. Story 12, Camp Davis. 2019 pre-sniper course land nav at Davis Airfield. I was walking back on my last point on a narrow gravel trail. It was almost 0100 and I was walking back. I saw a small group of Marines drop their main packs in a line and they all sat down on the packs. I ran up to them, dropped my pack and sat down. As I was wiping the sweat off my brow, I realized that the packs were no longer there. I looked around and there was no one in sight. I quickly picked up my packs and got out of there as quick as I could. I then thought to myself that the moments I felt like I was being followed were more than just being sketched out, and maybe the random light screeching I was hearing might have been in my head. This area isn't only known for the shitty swamps, but for unexplainable events. Story 13. The British Army. I was on a course... British Army and stayed out over a weekend and it was too far to travel home. The camp was dead. Twelve people in total. I was the only person in the female block which was joined to an old building that was used as a morgue. The upstairs was blocked off, empty, and had a huge heavy padlock and chain. The first night I was awoken by what sounded like footsteps and beds being dragged above me. I checked the parts of the building that I could get into and there were no signs of anyone. I followed the morning 
was startled to see a middle-aged woman in the corridor. I said hi and assumed she must be a cleaner. I nipped to the loo. There were no doors to the bathroom and the toilet cubicle was pretty much open so I could hear everything. There was only silence, except for myself. I washed my hands and then ran across the corridor to grab my wash kit and realized the woman had gone. I looked around and there was no sign of her. Yet the two large heavy fire doors to the exit of the building had not made a sound. They both were noisy as you opened them. I found out on the Monday that only one person had access to the upstairs and no one had been up in years. Civvy staff didn't enter the camp on a weekend, plus they needed keys for buildings, and when I had described the woman, none of the permitted staff knew of her. It was a small camp. Apparently, everyone who stayed in the buildings had reported strange things in their time. Story 14, Northern Iraq, Jinn Paranormal Encounter. Due to the nature of my job mission, I was confined to the FOB. I worked nights the whole tour, so my work hours were 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. As you can imagine, I slept during the day. Background, the base was a premier duty station for the Iraqi military. It was built in the 70s or 80s to accommodate the expanding army under Saddam's rule. So go for 1991 happens, and we bombed it. 03, we invade again, and guess what? We bombed it, then occupied it until 2011, when we gave it back to the Iraqis. So countless suicides or combat-related deaths from years of surge and peak insurgency took place. 2014, bombed it again because ISIS overtook it and was using it as a death camp. Olympic swimming pools on location were full of bodies, and there was a steamroller used for running people over. 2014, now occupied by Iraqi army. So as you could imagine, this could be a hotbed of stuff. Occurrence number one, kind of funny and weird. It was about a month into tour, and I was dead asleep in my room. We slept in a 6x6 room with a roommate. I was fortunate to never see him since we had opposite shifts. I was racked out with my back to the center of the room and I woke up into a slight touch grab to the back of my arm. I rolled over to see and what was a six foot four looking all black shadow was standing closer to six feet from me. I wear glasses and my vision is absolutely awful. So assuming it was one of my soldiers waking me up, I rolled back over after putting on my glasses and nothing was standing there. So tripped out, I got a hold of my roommate, and he chalks it up to some bad dream, night terror, and so I did. Two months go by, and business as usual, I got to work at nine, and my roommate settles in. One night, he gets ready to head to the shower, and the ambient light of his headlamp lights up my end of the room. He notices something out the corner of his eye, and looks to see what he said was a big-ass guy. Big, like its feet proportions were hanging off your bed. It's like a college dorm-sized twin bed, and it was all black with its back against the wall. So he believed it after that, and he thought it wasn't just a dream. We told our PSG platoon sergeant at Chow the next day, and he was amused and interested. He's a believer in the paranormal and decided to speak his part. 
according to him at this point in the tour, so about three months in. He's seen someone leaving my room at odd times in the middle of the day, times I'm sleeping, and walk to the room across from us. The thing with the room across from us is that it has been padlocked and replaced with plywood, or the door has been padlocked and replaced with plywood and was locked because the guys who slept there were in serious so much of their gear they had to leave behind was still in there. You can't get in without hopping the plywood walls. So that was the extent of the creepy stuff with my living space. I don't think it's a gin, but my interpreter said it probably was since it kept getting closer to me and manifesting itself physically. If I could describe it, it would seem similar to the shadow dude captured on the Ghost of Caramel main YouTube channel. Not spot on because I saw the shadow silhouette of a rather jacked and tall person. Story 15. Northern Iraq weird ominous stuff. Occurrence. Taking a shit in the Port John's at night and you'd hear footsteps or whispers around you. Note, you're in a shitter next to a watchtower that's 150 to 300 meters away from another group of soldiers at 3 a.m. Nobody is awake to fuck with you except the other guy in the tower and he can't abandon his watch since he's covering. Another occurrence, which is pretty weird. I attended a sleep aid class with the medics and whatnot since I was having trouble sleeping soundly in the group. There were soldiers waking up with bad dreams and with scratches on them, some of which were bad enough that they bled and it dried during their sleep. They discovered after they woke up to bloody sheets. Nobody said anything other than medics asking if he needs to look at it. Weird stuff. Entry point guys who man a big gate with obstacles would hear commotion like banging on the metal at the main gate at night and would go check on it and nothing would come of it. There would be no one there. Towers would then report people walking in the open area around the perimeter at night. Some would notice something on their nods, night vision, or in the darkness that there were eyes adjusted to. But when the sergeant on guard or other response elements would check it, no one would be there. Many times a woman screaming was reported in the towers, uh, from the towers of a vicinity of a bombed-out bunker and abandoned half-destroyed building area on the far end of the forward operating base. The sergeant on guard responded, we had no personal report of a rape assault. Yes, it happens out here too. And nobody come up missing or astray. Towers didn't report anyone in the area other than the S sergeants on guard and relief around that time. Fucking weird. Story 16. Fort Campbell back 40. In Fort Campbell, we have the back 40, and that's what we call the woods that we do training in. Ever since I got to my unit, I've heard stories about shit that goes bump in the night in the back 40, especially the back 40 witch. During my first large training event, I completely spaced the creepy stuff I heard and remembered it all seeing shadows on Firewatch. I assumed it was just some dude that had to take a piss but disappeared the second he went onto the wood line. 
A little later in that same week, I could hear footsteps approaching me as I was taking a leak. It was probably around 200 to 300. So I figured it was someone else who had had the same idea as me. And I told them I was here to space out. Footsteps got closer and basically close enough for them to breathe on me. But the second I turned around and looked for them, I saw nothing. That's just the surface of the weird shit you could find in the back 40. I've heard screams and whoops from the distance, and I couldn't tell if it was coyotes or some other guys fucking around or just something else entirely. Most common thing I see out here is the shadows. It's common at night to see them. You could be on a movement to the next objective and see them with your nods. Just a really, really basic shadow person you can see under nods. I'm not the only dude in my platoon who ever heard them either. I couldn't tell you what they are. We had dudes talking about that hearing them all throughout different field events. Even in shoot houses, if you're sleeping in them, you'll hear footsteps every now and then. Story 17. Djibouti, Africa, 2018. Our company would provide a PSD personal security detail for civilian contractors outside the wire whenever they needed to go collaborate the drone's weapon systems, which needed to be done away from the airfield we guarded. Always had to be at like 3 a.m. for some unknown reason. Usually I'd volunteer if I was off the tower rotation because it gave me something to do. One night, I and my riflemen we're on the PSD and drive this PMC out to his usual spot. We drive the three, four miles out to this location on a dirt road, set up the usual emplacements and start chilling. On this night, we had great lunar illumination and we could see well in all directions. Well, on this particular night, I was staring at an electrical tower just off to the side of the road that was only about 100 or meters or so away. While we're sitting there, a skinny, just... A skinny guy appears to be on the tower, and from what I can tell, he's just looking at us. Which would be fine if it wasn't 3 in the morning. So I keep an eye on him and let my buddy know what's up. Well, this guy just doesn't move for a solid 15 minutes to the point I become creeped out. The staring contest went on for another 10 minutes. At this point, we started hearing voices from up the road that distracted me from the dude I was looking at us. I looked back at where he was, and he's fucking gone. My heart was at my throat when I couldn't find him because of the terrain. There's no place he could have hid. To make things worse, the voices up the road started getting louder, and by some act of God, a cloud blocks the moon and leaves us in complete darkness. I flipped my nods down to continue looking for this guy, but my buddy spotted the people up the road first, so we shifted priority to them. Being dark as fuck now, I can't see them, only their outlines. The voices and outlines kept approaching us, so we tucked the contractor in the truck and moved to push these people around our work area. When it seemed like we had reached the outlines of the people, I flipped my nods, and lo and behold, there's fucking no one in the road anymore. My buddy was a couple of steps behind me and could still see the outlines and the voices and were definitely still there, but if there was someone actually there, I couldn't see them. We decided to jump back in the truck and hang out in there instead of hanging out outside with whatever the fuck was talking. There's a couple of other times that weird shit happened to us while on PSD, but those times it was actually people messing with us. This is the only time I can't explain what happened. 
I only think I can think of is the ghost from all the graves that are scattered all over the country. From what I learned there is that the Djiboutians just bury people wherever they die, so there's literally bodies all over the place. Story 18, Vandenberg South Base. I had just hit SRA and got a great post down there. Basically, all you did was drive around and do whatever. So that's what I did. Went through some dirt trails and valleys, started just enjoying every day. Around sunset, I had settled in near a little gully and was watching the sun go down while smoking a cigar. Truck was off and all, just the wind and faint ocean sound in the background. I heard something in the distance then, like drums beating or whatever. Then chills went down my spine and I decided to dip. Door wouldn't budge for a second and the drums got louder. Finally, the door opened and I whipped the hell out of there. Pretty sure I heard yelling or chanting as I sped off. Windows down? Again, South Base was where a lot of Indians used to be. Wouldn't be surprised if someone something didn't want me there. And I'll account this one on behalf of a friend. I'll vouch for it, because I've seen the same guy. A Vandenberg Air Force Base has a sordid history from tribal lands, destroyer, squadron, wrecks, tank range, a POW camp, etc. Oddly enough, most of these are isolated to south base portions. My friend's story is such. So there he was, a new kid posted as one of the more mobile patrols on the south base around 2014. My lead, we'll call him Dave, and I had just finished eating in our truck and making sure our guys at the gate were good. As we were about to go do some exploring around the massive slab of land we were responsible for, a call came over the net. Badger 1, control, we just had a caller state there was a man burning a barrel near the old Coast Guard barracks. Can I have you en route? Dave, the great defender he was, responded instantly, I'm in route. Now the base was a railroad track going through it. Not secure at all. Homeless, transients, actively walk it. Sometimes they get through. Sometimes we get them and cite them for trespassing, etc. They never go to court. So me and Dave were certain it was some asshole being stupid in the summer. So we arrived at the dilapidated buildings a bit later. Again, the place is big as hell, so it took a minute. As we roll up, we see an old white guy in a black suit chilling in a smoking barrel. Dave jumps out first and goes balls deep, starts yelling commands at the dude, challenge him. By the time I get out and watch this old dude look up at us, smiling and toss a match that we didn't see into the barrel. Whoosh! Thing goes up in flames like it's Somalia or some shit. Huge fucking mushroom cloud of fire. This dude just turns around after that and starts walking into the building. Dave is about to blow his top at this point. He drew his taser and told the guy to fucking stop as he runs to him. The old man obviously didn't. So this old guy walks casually into a ruined old building that's all boarded up aside from the door. Dave calls it in, tells me to get my M4 and that we were going to clear out the building for him and his friends. It wasn't really thinking that this could be a trap or anything like that. Maybe just homeless crazies who had taken up camp. 
and didn't give a fuck. I did as I was told and met Dave at the threshold. He yelled inside, telling the guy to come out. Nothing happened, so we went on in. The place was dirty as fuck. I think it was made in the 1950s and abandoned in the 1970s and 80s. We cleared the whole small building out fairly quickly and couldn't find this guy, which should be impossible. He was an old man. Then we decided to check the ground for panels and stuff. Dusty footprints, Scooby-Doo type stuff, clues, absolutely fucking nothing. Given up, we both head back outside and immediately noticed that burning barrel and it wasn't burning anymore. When we walked up, there wasn't anything even in it. We touched it. And it was cold. The place was dirty as fuck. I think it... Around the same time, the desk called, asking our status. We called them up, and they told us that they tried contacting us hella times, and it ended up putting us under duress. That entire time, we didn't get a signal, signal transmission. We asked the last time they heard from us, and we heard you laughing a while ago. We called bullshit, but the recorder showed our radio transmission around that time. Which, I guess, was the same time we saw the old man light the barrel on fire. Fast forward to 2019, I saw that guy myself way after the story near the destroyer wrecks at Honda Point. Like 1900 and night, I see a dude standing at the memorial there as I drove up. We look at each other, and I smiled and waved. He did the same. I left thinking, there's not a single car here. Ended up turning around to look at him, and couldn't see a thing. Story 19. Corpus Christi. Story from a Navy brat. Back in 1995, I was nine years old and dad was an ATC at NAS Corpus Christi. That's air traffic controller. I grew up around all types of aircraft, obsessed with the Blue Angels, and could name just about everything that flew across the skies. It was something that year while out with the parents, we stopped by a local produce stand outside town and I elected to stay in the air conditioning of the car. Out the window, I noticed in the distance two silver saucer-shaped objects flying in formation with each other. They flew at the same speed as most of the F-18s I saw at low altitude, but I, like I said, they were saucer-shaped. It really blew my mind when they flew at speed into a low cloud, and I never saw them exit. Story 20, Fort Lewis, a ranger story from hell. The following story originally was featured on the non-operational blog, Ranger Stories from Hell. This was back in the days of old when nights were bold. Sorry, that's another story. In late 1979, we were on a patrol down in the dark, damp, dank bowels of Rainier training area. Moving through the underbrush with a full moon is not too bad, but on those overcast, misty Pacific Northwest normal nights, it is near impossible. This was one such night. Visibility in open areas was down to 25 meters and in the thick stuff near zero. 
Our squad was hot stuff with some real good men who we were at home in any environment. We had been together for over a year for the most part with many expeditions to South Rainier under our belts. For those who have never ventured into the vicinage of Fort Lewis, it is as thick as anything I have ever encountered in the jungles of Panama. The Legion was on a recon this momentous night, moving with utmost stealth through the deadfall of underbrush. Trousers sucked tight to your legs, soaking from water-shrouded ferns and grass. Mold spores and decaying deciduous leaves filled our nostrils with a sweet smell of the deep woods. Tension was high as we departed the objective. We could return home without being compromised. Now the dirty deed had been done. Movement was slow at best. I was with the main element when Ranger Walker sent word up through the patrol we were being followed. I halted the patrol and moved back to talk with Walker and access the situation. Walker was older than most. He was a buck sergeant. He had been through NOLS and other outdoor courses in addition many years of hiking. Not the type to cry wolf. Upon reaching him, he said there had been someone following us for about 45 minutes, out about some 50 to 60 yards. He could not tell how many were in the patrol, but they were not the most surreptitious bunch, crunching a branch now and again or letting a branch crack as they moved it out of their way. Quick plans were made to ambush these would-be mercenaries. We would move up about 20, 50 meters, uh, 250 meters and dog leg back setting up some 35 to 40 feet from our present track. All went smoothly. Men with camouflage flank security was posted. NVGs deployed and our group of dauntless dog faces waited fingers resting lightly on our triggers. Tension settled. I'm like a heavy ruck unto your shoulders who would dare attempt to compromise a ranger team like us. Who felt that they could move up on us from the rear and take us down like some gaggle of neophytes. Movement was detected off to the right of the ambush site by flank security about 50 yards out from their position. Ears strained to pick up any noise that drifted through the midnight mist. Safety selectors slowly rotated to the fire position. Eyes swept the forest attempting to exude any visible movement or unnatural shapes. As one, we heard the patrol come to a halt after calming to within 20 yards of flank security. All wasn't ready for a successful ambush of these bold bozos, but they held fast. Nothing moved for what seemed like an eternity. Then they turned away from our ambush. Not one of us had so much as passed gas, let alone made any noise they could have heard. No lights had been used, not even the IR source lights on the NVGs. Their movement was slow and deliberate, but as we listened more closely, it was not a patrol, but a single man. He moved out from the ambush site some 20 yards and stopped, then turned and walked parallel to our front. This guy was good, whoever he was. I thought it might be the PSG, platoon sergeant on guard, an old Nam vet with four tours who never ceased to amaze us with his tactical prowess. It could be another patrol from BN. Hell, whoever it was, he had his dead nuts. He moved slowly down the line, keeping out the same distance, never closer, never further, just methodical movements. Not wanting to totally compromise the mission, we held our fire. He passed left flank security and kept moving for about the same 20 yards, then stopped, turned, and proceeded to move to our rear. This guy was going to box the patrol perfectly. In the dark, without a trace of light or any noise from us, he was keeping the same distance from us to him. Walking back towards the concealed patrol, the strange aroma drifted on zephyrs of the heavy night air. 
Hair stood straight out from the back of my neck as this repugnant, macabre, odiferous scent filled my entire being. Never in all my life had I smelled such a stench. Wet dog hair. Cheap beer barf. The crotch of a cheap hooker in a field latrine on a range in Georgia mixed together couldn't begin to match what we smelled that night. It stopped directly behind the patrol just about 60 feet and stood for an eternity. One of the men could not take the pressure of remaining motionless while he felt we were being stalked by something from another time and world. He started to crawl away from whatever it was that stood behind us. Hearing this noise, it moved quickly away, leaving us there to sort out what had just happened. I cannot say just what followed my patrol that night. I cannot tell you why none of us never turned on a flashlight to see what it was. I can only tell you what I and most of the other guys could ascertain. We believed we had just had a Bigfoot encounter. On many a night while stationed at Fort Lewis, which was from 1975 to 1982, I or people I knew heard sounds like none other. Things crashing through underbrush, impassable by even the hardest ranger. That unmistakable stench or a scream that was something between a peacock cry and a woman in extreme fear all were experienced by some. Story 21, The Ping. All right. By far one of the scariest, most inexplicable experiences in the military. From 2010 till 2014, I served on board the SSGN as a helmsman and a fire control technician. One particular Westpac, I believe it was my third, we were off the coast of Country X doing things we shouldn't have been, as is custom for submarines. I had just finished up my watch rotation at the helm, went down to grab chow, and then went back up to the control room to do maintenance on the AACC, which is the console that controls the preparation and employment of the torpedoes. In the midst of the maintenance, everyone was chopping it up, it was roughly 2 a.m. or so, and it had been a relatively quiet time on station. Sonar held no contacts except for a few biological traces, which was nothing out of the ordinary. All of a sudden, and without warning, a very loud and very distinct ping ran out, piercing the hull of the ship and sending us all into an absolute frenzy. It was so loud that the captain burst into the control and an undershirt and his underwear demanding to know what the fuck was that. As sonar and the fathometer operator scrambled to get a grip on what it was and where it came from, we were all prepared to be ready for battle stations. As said before, we were somewhere that we shouldn't have been and thus counter-detection would surely end up an international incident of epic proportions. After what felt like hours, sonar came on comms and declared that not only did they have no idea where the ping came from, they had zero trace of it on any of the sonar sensors, hydrophones, nor any other arrays that we had on board. The ping essentially never existed. It was nowhere to be found. Now, just to add context... 
if someone dropped a spoon in the galley and at the same time someone dropped a wrench in the reactor compartment, sonar could be able to be tell exactly where on the boat the items were dropped down to the precise level and compartment it had happened in. So the fact that all of us in control, the captain asleep in his stateroom, and the guys in the galley all heard it audible penetrate the hull, sonar not picking it up was utterly impossible. After all senior sonar and fire control personnel had been racked out to find the ghost ping to no avail. The captain and the weapons officer held a brief to gather all the facts and report them. The fact remains, no one knows what the hell or who the hell it was that had pinged us. But the one thing that till this day makes me most uneasy about the whole thing is that no set rep was sent off about the incident that I know of. It was like the captain knew something we didn't and somehow knew we weren't at risk. We stayed on station and finished out the West Pack as if nothing had happened. After all, according to all the sonar sensors, nothing, in fact, had happened. I have so many different theories, from underwater hydrophones used to deter ships from getting too close, to a watchman of sorts keeping us out of danger. It irks me that I'll never know for sure. If it were another sub, I think we would have had a big incident go down. I theorize that they have active hydrophones that randomly send out pings, but just recording and not an actual sonar ping taking place. The fact that Skipper never made a report has always been a red flag to me. Story 22 Over UFO over Afghanistan I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2013 and was manning the front gate with one other guy who also witnessed this. The pictures are taken by my buddy's GoPro through our night vision. What we saw were three lights hovering silently above a traffic circle for several minutes. And when I say silent, I mean they did not make a single noise even though it was maybe 200 meters and 250 meters high. And at this point in our deployment, we were very familiar with what various aircrafts would sound like as they would provide support doing our patrols. It was also invisible to the naked eye and we could only see it under our night vision. As soon as we decided to take pictures of it, it flew off. I recently looked at a map where we were and approximately measured the distance it covered. It moved about 5 to 6 miles in maybe 10 seconds. I believe that the three lights were part of one object. These pictures were taken from my phone on the computer, just and so you can see the photos when they show them. And they are of a actual glowing triangle. Story 23. The K Island Chain. In 1943, Japanese soldiers stationed with a surveillance team on a small remote island within the K Island chain reported seeing strange creatures in the water that were said to have limbs and a face similar to a human, but a mouth like a carp filled with needle-like teeth. These bizarre creatures were described as typical being around 150 centimeters tall and having pink or salmon-colored skin and prominent spines or spikes on their heads and even their necks and shoulders. These strange beasts did not keep with the image of what a mermaid should look like. 
These mere beings were not described as attractive maidens, but unlike the most classical mermaids, they did not have fishtails wholly, but instead possessed two long arms and two prominent frog-like legs, which ended in wicked talons. These beings were seen frolicking about near beaches or lagoons on several occasions. In one case, two of the odd creatures were spotted playing in a lagoon, and another was reportedly seen swimming near a shore like a human doing the breaststroke. One report was told by a startled soldier who recalls seeing one of the creatures on a beach near night. At first, the soldier had thought it was a child until it turned around and he could see in the moonlight that its facial features were not quite right. The creature quickly ran headlong into the water upon seeing him and did not resurface. They were allegedly able to get around on land to some degree, with another soldier claiming to have seen one running about on the sand at dusk looking for something like a man. However, they were claimed to be most at home in the water, through which they were able to deftly and agilely dart and zoom through with ease. There were even reports of the troops stationed there engaging the creatures. One patrol of the Japanese soldiers claimed that they had slogged through a thicket of underbrush to come upon an isolated lagoon. At first, things seemed as serene and peaceful as most scenes on the quiet island were, but then there was a sudden thrashing in the water. Thinking it was some large fish, the curious soldiers looked on to see what would happen, trying to peer through the sun-speckled surface to see what kind of fish could be causing such a commotion. As they squinted and gazed at the water, a strange being lurched out from behind to pull onto a rock outcropping. It was described as a pink fish and having ape-like features, only it was devoid of hair and possessed a big mouth like a fish, with arms that ended in webbed hands and claws. The creature quickly turned to the soldiers gawking on the bank and reportedly let out a gurgling burping noise that the troops did not translate as being particularly friendly kind of like a bark. Soon after, another could be seen making its way through the water towards them in a purportedly elegant, smooth fashion as fast as any fish could swim. The speed with which it approached was startling to the men, and those claws weighed on everyone's mind. As the second creature silently darted towards them, the one on the rock continued. Its background symphony of gurgling, throaty, carfling noises, and the men began to fire on both. The water erupted in sprouts of water, kicked up by the bullets, and the fire was directed towards the rock crop as well. The creatures fled, leaving the baffled troops there amidst the jungle noises, wondering what they had just seen. Another bedraggled and exhausted soldier who had taken a break near the water to pour some over himself and cool down reported that he was opening his eyes from the pleasure of feeling the cool water on his skin when he saw staring back at him the face of a horrible monkey thing with a fish mouth and spines like a sea urchin. The head was protruding from the surface not three feet from him, exuding a strong fishy stench. He immediately fumbled for his sidearm and unloaded it at the terrifying thing, but what, whether he hit it or not remains unknown. When his panicked firing was done and his senses returned, the creature had sunk beneath the water and vanished. While not directly encountering the beasts, other soldiers often saw them lying on secluded beaches or swimming lazily in the distance. They were mostly frequently sighted in lagoons, not typically near the sea. At least one soldier claims to have seen one catching fish and stuffing them into his gaping mouth. 
Although the Japanese soldiers were deeply perplexed by these sightings and encounters, these creatures were not unknown to the island's indigenous people. When asked about them, the villagers in the vicinity told the Japanese that they were known locally as their Orang Ikan. In Malay, Orang means human and Ikan means fish. So we have something akin to man-fish. The villagers said they were seen about the islands and were sometimes even caught in nets. They mainly were told to keep to themselves, but were fiercely territorial and would attack if approached too closely. Indeed, the creatures were feared, but seen as a fact of life. And the Japanese were informed that if another were captured, they would be told so that they could see it for themselves. One evening, the sergeant of the surveillance team, a Mr. Taro Hariba, was summoned by the chief of the nearby village. It was announced to Hariba that an orang Akan had been found dead in a beach earlier that day, and the body was available for their viewing. The sergeant, somewhat skeptically, made his way towards the hut where anxious villagers were gathered looking as if they were scared. The Japanese sergeant wondered if he had wanted to see what was in the hut and came face to face with what was frightening these local people. Nevertheless, the rational part assumed that there would be some mundane explanation, although he would find himself dumbfounded by what was sprawled out upon the grass laid out at the chief's home. Hariba described a strange dead creature he saw laid out as being around 160 centimeters long and possessing a head of red shoulder-length hair, although it was sparse and patchy, and spines that grew along the neck. The face was quite ugly, with human and ape-like features, a low, short nose, a broad forehead, and small ears. The lipless mouth was wide like a fish, specifically described like a carp filled with tiny, sharp, needle-like teeth that were used to be perfect for grabbing and holding prey. The creature's fingers and toes were long and webbed and ended in translucent claws. Hariba also reported some algae attached all over its body, which gave the body a greenish cast in some places. The stench of the beast was said to be horrific, like a mix of rotting fish and rotting meat, an absolute assault on his senses. Sergeant Hariba, although having sighted the Orang Akan alive himself on several occasions but from a distance and doubting what he had seen, could not fathom that what it was had been witnessed so closely as the chief's home. There was no known creature on the island that could have possibly accounted for the strange, dead, humanoid creature he was witnessing. And the sight of the carcass deeply disturbed and unsettled him, according to his notes. Upon returning to Japan, Hariba told of his experiences and urged zoologists at universities to investigate the phenomenon, but no one took him seriously. In fact, that he had taken no photos did not help his cause. In English, the infamous Orang Akan fishman or Independence War veteran told me the same sighting during a service with the Japanese Auxiliary Unit in 1944 in Palembang while traveling a nearby river. He and his squad leader, a Japanese sergeant, saw a humanoid figure on a riverbed at night. The figure was two legs and arms with a body and a face of a carp. When they were about to chase the creature, the creature disappeared quickly into the river's depths and they never saw it again. Story 24. Snakes. I have a story for you about my grandfather. It was a paratrooper from the Portuguese army during the 1960s. 
He and his regiment were deployed to Angola and Mozambique to fight rebels, as they were still territories of Portugal at the time. The story will always send ice into my veins. One night, my grandfather and his squad were on an overnight patrol through the jungle. The density of the trees made the jungle nearly pitch black. They established a small camp and set up rotations for guard duty. Two men awake at a time. When it was my grandfather's turn in the rotation, he said he heard what sounded like there was something or someone slowly creeping through the brush towards their camp. He'd hear the brush rattle. The bushes move, then stop, then start up again all throughout the night. My grandfather's watch ends, and he and the other paratrooper go to sleep. The next morning, my grandfather and his squad wake up to see a giant snake coiled around one of the squad mates. The trooper was still lying on his side, on the ground, on his mat, but his head was nearly fully into the snake's mouth, and he was being swallowed. According to my grandfather, the snake was double the length of the man, and as thick as a light pole. My grandfather and the other troopers hacked the snake with their machetes and peeled it away from the trooper. When they moved the trooper's body, my grandfather said they could hear the bones and his body move like shards of glass in a plastic bag. He said every snake they saw in the jungle after that was shot on the spot. Story 25, Lights Over Firebase Bell. 2016, Makmur, Iraq, Firebase Bell. Shout out to the guardsmen and marines who fought there. We were always on 24-hour ops, heading Mosul and sleep deprived. But once you see the same thing a bunch of times and the whole platoon sees it, it's probably not a hallucination. We saw these green lights. They looked like flared dumps from a gunship or a helo. The skies were pitch black from the burning oil fields. Just green balls of light, as I said. It looked like green flares with no aircraft around. I was soaring through the sky. It didn't seem mechanical. Floating more than flying, but quickly. Like little balls of green fire. Flying in groups. I saw it on guard at 300 against the oily sky with no nods. I looked at my partner and was like, you saw that? He said, yep. We didn't say anything else about it that whole night. We never really talked about it during the day either or questioned it. Lots more to worry about in northern Iraq then. Then every few nights we would see them flying or falling in clumps and disappearing over the mountain or the horizon. Other ships would see them and mention them in the morning. And we'd all nod. We'd know what they were talking about. Story 26, not today, not mine, but was my father has a few stories. He died twice during the 1990s Croatian and Bosnian wars. 
and he fought on the Serbian Krajnina Serb Republic side. He told me what it was like to die and what the afterlife felt like. When he died the first time, he basically saw his body from a third person. Then whatever or wherever he thought he would be, he was. Basically had a bird's view on his body and wherever he wanted to look, he could look. He saw how a woman medic took money from his body, and when he woke up, he asked if he could get his money back. When he died the second time, he appeared on one frozen lake with a bridge. There was some, some shiny figure letting people through. But he woke up before he could cross. Both times, the doctors say he was clinically dead, as if his heart had stopped beating. The thing with all these crazy stories he told me, and I believe them, because he generally has five bullet wounds and a lot of shrapnel scars. Not to mention that look in his eyes when he tells the story and how his tone changes when he talks about it. Another story he told me was how during the East Slavonian campaign, him and his unit were on a special task cleaning up Borovakemak and Vukovar, and they were going to jump over some gate when he suddenly had a vision of a Croat soldier with a machine gun waiting around the corner. He ordered his guys to rest and have a smoke, and that there was a soldier waiting for them ahead. Two guys didn't listen. They went ahead. One got wounded lightly, and he made it without any serious damage. And the other retrieved him, bringing him back. From that point on, they all listened to my father whenever he had a vision of danger. When I asked him how he knew, he simply told me I saw it in my head out of nowhere. It wasn't anyone's time to die. The war to him was pointless. Story 27, Ascension Island. My grandpa was stationed on Ascension Island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean from the mid-1950s to 1970s as a radar technician. His military career went from 1949 to the mid-1980s. A big part of his job was monitoring any movement above and below water in that part of the Atlantic. The majority of the stuff he would see on the radar was U.S. ships and planes. Since radar tech was in its early days, you had to be good at determining the identity of whatever you saw on screen since most moving objects look like blobs. However, most military aircraft, boats, and submarines had a very distinctive look to them and how they behaved. You could ID what he was looking at pretty accurately, he said. He would see a lot of Soviet subs snooping around and report them to his supervisor. It was, for the most part, a dull job. A few times were different, though. He saw a swarm of large objects underwater moving in a formation compared to a mass of hornets. The things were really big, much bigger than most subs, he said. They were like spherical instead of, con instead of cylindrical. He watched them move across the ocean for a few minutes before the masses moved into a triangular formation, shooting out of the water and into the air. It was bizarre, and when he showed his supervisor... They told him never to talk about it again. Another time, he saw a spherical object in the sky again, but this time it was alone. 
It moved faster than any plane he was used to seeing. Aside from its shape, that weird thing about it was that it changed direction multiple times, and it did so really erratically. Eventually, it flew off, and his supervisor told him to keep quiet once again. He spotted a huge metal object creeping along the ocean floor once. It was moving steadily and had to have been several miles in length, way too big to be a Russian submarine. It was also on the sea floor. Not above the seafloor, but on the seafloor. He had no idea what it was and couldn't find a reasonable explanation when he tried to research what it might have been. He reported it as some secret Soviet tech. Story 28. Cigar UFO over Iraq. I was a TC in a scout platoon in Anbar province, just south of Ramadi, Iraq. Ran route security and HKT missions along Route Michigan, Long Island, and Boston. While posted up in our hide along one of the MSRs at night, my gunner informed me he was seeing some weird shit through the LRSSS, Long Range Scout Surveillance System. Big-ass thermal optical that can see for miles. So he shows me what he was seeing. I shit you not, an old-time cigar-shaped object was showing up just under a mile from us. Weird thing is, it's showing up super cold in the thermals. We could not see anything through our night vision. In the naked eye, even the night optic scope on the M24 sniper rifle in our squad couldn't detect this thing. It was basically in fucking visible to the naked eye. I told him to laser range find it with the LRSSS and he confirmed it was like 1600 meters away from us up in the sky. So it was a legitimate hard surface capable of reflecting the distancing laser. As soon as he did that, he said it disappeared off thermals a few seconds after it was lazed. Nobody slept good that night. Story 29 The Cult Air Force here. I grew up in a cult and was the cult leader's son. Warren Jeffs is my dad. Anyway, he was super paranoid, or maybe it was just another one of his manipulative ways, but we were raised being told that the FBI was constantly out to kill us. So he had his family of 82 wives and 55 kids in hiding, mostly in Colorado, Wyoming, and some in Idaho. This particular story happened at a house of hiding in Colorado. Yeah, it happened over a period of about two years. It became super common the winter of 2016-2017. This particular story was on the border of Wyoming and Colorado. He had 17 of us boys living in a house about a mile off the US-287 and our property line was the border of the two states. But we kept seeing these people around the house at night and we would chase them and somehow they would vanish. 
We thought it was someone trying to persecute us for our religion, but thinking back, it seems more like ghosts. They would show up every time there was a storm, more usually when it was snowing hard. We loved going out at night and playing hide-and-seek just after the sun went down as it snowed. This one time, all of us older kids were hiding from the younger ones. We were on a pile of boulders and there was a small meadow between us and where the other boys were. Unknown to us, the other boys went in. We could see some figures coming toward us super fast. I thought they were coming way too fast to even be running, but it was definitely in the shape of humans. We ran away and around and across the driveway into some other trees and the figures got down on all fours in a small wash by the driveway and slowly crept up towards us. Mind you, this isn't about a foot and a half of snow. We took off running and went up to the house and found out everyone was in the house already. We could see three of them from the house after that from the windows and the next morning there were tracks but they were covered up by the storm mostly. Another time, one of my dad's wives was in the kitchen at midnight and someone came and pounded on the bay window at the living room, but she couldn't see anyone outside when she looked. It was super common for us to hear tapping on the bathroom windows while we showered. While that was weird as it was, we were an hour away from any town north of Fort Collins and a mile off the highway. It would have been a hell of a walk to get to the house to play pranks on us. They look like humans for sure, but they always got down on all fours when they came close to us, though. We'd stay up all night and watch out from our windows, and we would see lights coming toward the house and then figures circling the house. We ended up asking the neighbors about it, and they told us on our property about 500 meters from the house, the Pony Express Trail came through a ravine until some outlaws robbed them took several hundred thousand dollars in gold, which would add up to several million dollars these days, and shot the Pony Express couriers. Anyway, the sheriff came out with his deputies, and they had a shootout between him and the outlaws, killing all of them and a few sheriff's deputies as well. My opinion is that they are ghosts. I know ghosts don't leave tracks, and every time we would chase them, they would vanish not gonna lie, it's way creepier now that I think back on it than it was to me back then. Like I said, we thought it was people trying to persecute us for our religion. Because we were brainwashed. This one time we were out hiking around one of the boys ahead and all of a sudden he screamed to get over there. He said he looked up on a small cliff above him and there was this young man dressed in old clothing sitting on a rock. He returned to call us over there and then when we got back he vanished. He said it got really cold right before he saw the dude. Another story. Will probably be the most obvious, but I can't prove it if it was people or not. They had lights, so that of course means people. Anyway, we were standing a well pipe, or a housing you could call it, right up to be a chimney for our shop. Right by we were doing it, the the boulders came up behind us. It has gotten dark. There were several of the younger boys on top the shop roof watching and trying to help. I was on the ground and one of the kids on the roof talked at me saying there was someone directly behind me standing behind a rock. He jumped up and down and came over to me because there was a skid steer running and it was pretty loud and told me that he saw someone behind the rock that I was by. 
I went around it and no one was there. Then I looked up at the meadow and I see two lights beeping held by two different people or whatever coming towards me and I took off running straight at them. I had a huge light that was like 4,000 lumens and I felt pretty brave for about 30 seconds until that didn't, uh, they didn't stop walking up towards me. I stopped at that point and decided I wanted something to defend myself with, and so I kind of sat there and all of a sudden their lights went out and I shined where they had been, and there was absolutely nothing there. It was in the middle of a meadow, and they had nowhere to go. Also, I will add that it was tight in the middle of a sleet storm, like before they were always showed up during storms. Anytime it snowed, sometimes during the rain, but anytime there was a big snowstorm, we'd always see them. I have no clue what they were. They scared the shit out of me. There was a good seven or eight of us at the time that saw the lights coming towards us. I just happened to be the closest, so naturally I decided to run and shine the light at them. After I had a second to think, I was like, holy shit, what the fuck was that? And, and who knows that it would have done if they had caught up with them. Another weird thing that stood up to me was like, I really wish I could show you what the rocks were like there. Our property was made up of them. But anyway, those rocks were hard to traverse if you didn't know them or hadn't been there for a long time. Whenever we saw them move through the rocks, they went way faster than we could and we had been there for years, with nothing better to do than hike around and shit. And lastly, story 30, the Minotaur. I was a dismounted infantryman with Archangel Company 172 AR in South Korea. This was in 2010. The battalion was at a massive facility in the mountains conducting our second gunnery of the year. One night it was our turn to conduct a live fire exercise with Bradley IFVs and dismounted infantrymen. The company loaded up into the Bradleys and off we went in the range, which was a long valley surrounded by mountains. The valley had four roads parallel to each other running down the entirety of the valley. We set off in unison, the Bradleys engaging targets as they went. Once the middle of the valley was reached, the ramps went down and the infantry ran out. We ran to the right so we could start traversing the mountain for higher ground. Everything was under night vision. My squad reached the peak of the first hill and we took a security halt to get our bearings. I was faced out watching the tracers of the 25mm flying downrange like lasers. Out of nowhere, a bright skinny beam of blue light fell from the sky and hit the ground at the end of the valley. I looked up and it was as if it was coming out of the heavens and hitting the ground. It lasted probably two to three full seconds. It disappeared as quickly as it appeared. It was incredibly weird, but I quickly moved on with the mission. Once the exercise ended, we hiked down the mountain and back into the Bradleys. 
the IFVs parked back at the staging area, and the second the ramp dropped, everyone was talking about the blue beam of light that we'd seen. But then a gunner came running with his digital camera. He said, guys, look what I saw. He had been taking a picture of the Bradley's gun camera. It was taken with the thermal setting, and what we saw was fucking otherworldly. The camera on their Bradleys was zoomed out at max, and the thing was filling the entirety of the screen. According to the gunner and commander, it was massive. No joke, it looked like a minotaur. It was standing upright on two skinny legs with a massive upper body and what appeared to be the head of a bull. A minotaur was the only description we could give. It was giving off a bright thermal signature as well. Hot. That's literally the only description we could come up with. It was like 10 plus dudes surrounding the camera screen coming up with theories. Minotaur was the agreed upon shape and size. The funny part is we wanted to shoot it but didn't want to get in trouble for shooting outside the left and right limits. To this day, I still wonder what exactly we saw.